Let's look at uh, John chapter 1. Would you please stand with me this morning as we read God's word? Last week, Pastor Jimmy also preached from this passage, but he started later, and I'm starting at uh, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Please take your seats. When Jesus meets someone like you, his full identity is confirmed. When Jesus meets someone like you, your true identity is revealed. For a long time, I wondered if I had been switched at birth. <laughs> I feel as though I am nothing like my parents. My brother and I are very different. So I started reading books about it. There's a lot of books out there on this topic. <laughs> I thought about it. I pondered about the possibilities, how my biological mother could have somehow let me out of her sight and allow me to be switched with this other baby. I wondered how it all happened. What exactly went down in that hospital those years ago? Reading all of these true story accounts where it had happened to other people just made it all the more real for me. It actually was plausible. It did actually happen to a lot of people. So why couldn't it have happened to me? So I'm not 100% convinced now that it didn't happen. I'm about 99% there that probably my parents are my actual parents, especially when I see all of my gray hair at this tender age. And uh, my grandmother was totally gray by the age of 30. But in this trying to relate to my parents, my identity, as human beings, this is one of the most crucial crises we experience. Identity. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? How did I get here? Why am I here? What am I made of? Are these people really my relatives? These are questions that we ask, and some of us look for answers the whole of our lives. For young people here at Flood today, these are the questions that ravage your mind, control your decisions, influence your friends, form your habits, bait your own destiny. In our efforts to find out who we are, we, we are susceptible to being tossed about by peers, by culture, by society, by media, by relatives, by everything around us. But I want to propose to you today 
The only way we can ever truly know who we are is through a genuine encounter with Christ. And this continues into a lifelong relationship with the whole, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Identity can't actually be found by tracing genealogy or by understanding cultural heritage or by fully knowing one par- one's parents and relatives, even DNA tests. I have uh, two cousins, and they're the children to my mother's sister, um, and they grew up in Saudi Arabia. They lived, their, their parents were there for 17 years, so when they left and went back to Canada, they were suddenly unsure of what their identity was because they had lived in this third culture their whole lives, and suddenly they were going to university at English schools and trying to understand our culture in Canada with French and English. And it was quite interesting to watch the way they navigated those things. I have one cousin. She just dived right in. She's 100% Canadian. She does, you wouldn't know that she ever grew up overseas. And my other cousin really struggled, and she actually fully embraced our maternal heritage, which is an Aboriginal culture. So she's right into all of the traditional ceremonies and um, rites of passage and all this kind of stuff. Never having grown up in that, but now fully immersed in it, in her own search for identity. They both have rejected their Christian faith. They did grow up attending church and going to youth group and all those kinds of things. And I've watched her and watched this identity crisis take her through, you know, 19 years old up till now she's 30. But our identity can't be found through our own experiences, our own culture, our own society, or even our parents. It has to be found and fully realized through Christ, who is the Messiah. Now, our passage starts with the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. John the baptizer, what an unusual character. Wearing clothes made from camel's hair, that's probably itchy. Eating locusts and wild honey. Wandering around in wilderness, shouting at people to repent and turn away from all of their terrible deeds. He didn't exactly appeal himself to a mass audience, did he? If you think of someone like that, going around the long way today, I mean, it, it would be unusual for someone, such a person to have a following. He didn't wear beautiful clothes, and he didn't have the latest car. He didn't preach a message of prosperity and healing. He didn't make any promises that if someone gave just the exact amount of shekels to the temple, everything would be wonderful. He talked about repentance. He talked about quitting that sin-sick behavior that those people were engaged in. He told people, stop what you're doing, get things right with God, because time is running out. The Lord himself is coming. The paths are already there. They just need to be made straight. Oddly enough, his style did seem to appeal to people. Hundreds and perhaps thousands went out from Judea and Jerusalem for him to baptize them. They received his words, and they had a a desire to respond to these warnings. Quite unusual from our ears today. Who like, we like our ears to be tickled and told things are going to be fine. I have a, a good friend who's 
in a difficult situation right now. She's pregnant with her third child, and uh, it's a different father from the other two. And he's not willing to acknowledge the child. So she has a business, and a, a certain man came into the business and met her and told her everything about her life. And she said, there are things he told me that I have never told anyone. And he said that he he told me these things. And I'm just listening because it's fascinating. I I don't know where the story is going to go. And as he gives her these very clear words and instructions, he says, now you just need to pay me something and I can pray for you so that your life will straighten out. So at this point, I'm like, oh, thank, thank God she's seen how crazy this is. And... And then I thought, well, so how much did you pay him? (laughs) She said, I I think it was about (sighs) $60,000. He had given her these words that had put a fear in her heart and out out of a desire for peace and some sort of resolution, she just gave him the money. And I was very irate. How could a Christian preacher, pastor, prophet do something like this? She said, oh, no, no. He didn't say he was a Christian. He didn't say anything about Jesus. <sighs> Shocking. She received his words, and she had this desire for the words to actually come to fulfillment, that the things he prayed would come to pass so that her problems could somehow be resolved. Now let's think about John. Scholars suggest that maybe he was preaching for about five years. He was likely a well-known figure. We all know that same preacher who stands on top of the Airtel booth right at the Standard Bank in town, right? I've been here for three and a bit years. He's been here at least that long. So think about John. People would be familiar with him. He was strange, but definitely consistent with his message. He had somehow built a reputation. He had gained disciples. People were following him, walking with him, believing his message. Yet everything he preached had to do with someone else. So when the time came and he baptized Jesus, you can imagine there would have been a crowd. There would have been people who were part of his ministry. And they'd been waiting and waiting for the culmination of his words. In fact, the whole nation was waiting. All of Israel waiting. So earlier in chapter 1, before these verses, John proclaims Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and his disciples are listening. This is the one they've been waiting for. This is the one they've been hearing about. This is the one John has been talking about, and he's finally here. So John, standing with his disciples, announces again, Behold, the Lamb of God, and these young men are with him. We're going to do an exercise now. I'd like everyone to just close your eyes and listen. I would like you to imagine what is happening. Picture the scene. Close your eyes and imagine yourself there in first century Palestine. You're just near to the Jordan River, so listen for the gentle lapping of the water against the rocks. The distinct smell of fish fills the air, but it's not unpleasant. Rather, it holds the promise of provision and food. A bird calls across the way. Hear its wings flap as it begins its next journey. Then, look down in the water. Do you see the boats? 
Their fishermen are ready with their nets, rowing out with hope that the day's catch will suffice for a meal for the family with some left over. They pull the oars. You see them hit the water back and forth, back and forth. The water carries them easily, though the fishermen's muscles ripple under their efforts. Look over and see the market. The men and women sell everything you can think of, and everyone has a good price. Fresh fish, two for one, Saturday price. There are so many bright colors. The fabric the women sell, coming all the way from Persia. Bright orange, deep red, royal purple. So many to choose from, and they are so soft. Now, can you smell the fruit? There are dates and plums, apricots, pomegranates, and look, olives, perfect with the delicious baked bread available at the next stall. Then turning from the market, we see John the baptizer. There he is with his long hair and his wild beard, wearing his clothes made from camel's hair held up by a leather belt. It's not certain when he bathed last, so there is an odor, but he has a look of peaceful determination. He tosses a couple of locusts into his mouth. Hear the crunch, the satisfying crunch, as each one meets its final destiny. Quickly, he washes them down with a mouthful of sweet honey, but he's not alone. He's with these two young disciples, John and Andrew. Look at their clothes. They're not rich, but they are simple and genuine. They talk with one another. They laugh together. The young men look at the baptizer with respect. They want to understand this message about the one who baptizes with fire when suddenly they see a man, the man. Look at the man. It's him. It is him. There he is. There is he. He's walking among us, and we remember the events from the day before. We remember what the baptizer said, and now he's right here with us. The baptizer is not, unfit to, to untie, is not fit to untie his sandals. His words come flooding back. He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit is right here among us. Look down at yourself. Look in your hands. Are you prepared for anything? Do you have any provisions with you? No, you are not prepared. You do not have any provisions. And while pondering about your own condition, the one whose voice has been crying in the wilderness announces again, Behold, the Lamb of God. And we know. We look at him, and we see it in his eyes, and we know. There's no doubting it. There's no denying it. There's no questioning it. John has been preaching this message for years, and the assurance in his own resolve that this is the man the entire earth has been waiting for is very real. This is the one. He is the one. Look at him. Take in the fire in his eyes and the gentleness of his movement. Observe how he seems to walk and move like a man, but surely he is so much more. We have been waiting. We have been listening and longing and hoping, and now he is here. He is right here with us, and the wait is over. Please open your eyes. When Jesus meets someone like you, he comes to where you are. He was found walking among common people, doing common things. 
There's nothing uncommon about men standing around, talking, laughing with one another. He doesn't find these young men in a temple praying a holy prayer. He doesn't find them in an academy learning holy words. He doesn't find them in an orphanage or a street ministry doing holy deeds. He finds them exactly where they are, at the side of the river, just hanging out with their friends, and it's the same place that he finds you. He finds you at home, at your school, with your family, with your relatives. We are not required to do something special or something specific. He finds us exactly as we are and exactly where we are. For some of us, that's in the heart of a place like Mtendire, or it's in the middle of a heartbreaking divorce, or it's in a church that we've attended for years, but it just feels so hollow. When Jesus meets someone like you, he comes exactly to where you are. When Jesus meets someone like you, his nature draws you to him. It's not big, expensive, flashy scenes, but it's who he is. He is the Messiah. He's the one who baptizes with fire and with the Holy Spirit. He's calm and he's peace. But he's holy and he is just. John and Andrew were drawn to Jesus because of his nature, his God nature. Here he is, God dwelling in man, the one who has come to take away the sin of the world. This is why we are drawn to Jesus. He's not just a, an exciting historical figure who might be able to give me some nice things in my life, but he has the answer to the sin-sick problem of this world. He has the answer to the sin-sick nature that keeps you tangled in lies and deception. He has the answer to the sin-sick nature that keeps me locked in habits and patterns generations old. John and Andrew are drawn to Jesus because he is the one they've been waiting for. He's the one they've heard about preached for years, and now he's right here among them. And he's right here among us. He's right here with us. We're drawn to him not because of who we are or what we can do, but because of who he is. When Jesus meets someone like you, his nature draws you to him. Okay. When Jesus meets someone like you, he persuades you to leave important things. Just think of John and Andrew for a moment. They were young men in the prime of their lives. They still had so much living to do. Get married, have a family, develop business, develop careers. Their reputations and futures were put on the line when they decided to abandon these pursuits for that moment and follow Jesus. And guess what? He might ask you to do something similar. He might ask you to put off getting married. Or he might ask you to continue your education even though you have no money and no interest and no desire. He might even ask you to just give up your life and move somewhere to spread the gospel. In this continent alone, there are 988 people groups that have never been reached with the gospel. That's 350 million people. They've never heard his name, and you can do something about that. You can leave these important things that are very crucial Follow him in a way that you never dreamed possible. John and Andrew left their lives, followed Christ for the three and a half years of his earthly ministry, and then were right there on the ground while the early church got its start. They both were martyred for the sake of his name, but it's all worth it. It's so much more than anything you can plan or dream for yourself. 
When Jesus meets someone like you, he persuades you to leave important things. When Jesus meets someone like you, he uses other people to point you to him. So as soon as Andrew had spent time with Jesus, the very next thing he did was to find his brother Simon to tell him all about it. Now, one of the most beautiful things we have as the body of Christ is the way we connect with one another. That's part of the ministry of the body. We are one with each other. These uh, youth, young adults who have come from the U.S. on world race, we're one with them, even though today might be the first time we're ever meeting them. We are united in the body of Christ. I was uh, led to Christ by my grandmother. Jeff was led to Christ by his uh, mother and his grandparents. And Jesus uses other people to point us to him all the time. Of course, first with the initial coming to church, initial steps of faith, but then in our continued growth as his disciples. We grow in groups, which is why I'd like to give another shameless plug for growth group ministry here at Fly Church. If you are in a growth group, please stand up. And look around and find someone who's not in a growth group and give them a high five. You're going to have to do a lot of high fives. (laughs) In case you didn't know, we have so many growth groups meeting across the city. The purpose is to encourage each other to grow in faith. And I want you to know, it's not actually a replica of this. Some people have it in their minds that it's like a Sunday worship service. It's nothing like this. It's more casual uh, fellowship. I know there's one growth group that gives a meal every week. It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to say who it is. (laughs) They already have too many people. (laughs) Uh, And did you know, you can sign up for a growth group today. Yay! (laughs) At Flood... Pastor Sean reminds us the primary way that we express membership is through growth groups. It's not a card. It's not an application. It's not a piece of paper. It's your growth group. That is your living, active, breathing membership. And Jesus wants to use a growth group to help you. He wants to use other people to point you to him, to encourage you. When Jesus meets someone like you, he uses other people to point you to him. And those other people are our growth group, (laughs) sometimes, most of the time. When Jesus meets someone like you, he proclaims who you will be. This is powerful. When Jesus meets Simon, he proclaims that he will now be called Peter. I picture this scene in my mind like a bit of a movie scene where you got Jesus, who's obviously the star of the film, and he meets Peter and says, no, 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 kind of a bit of a diva. Jesus doesn't like his name, so he just changes it. I mean, that's, that's pretty bold. <laughs> the first time you meet someone, no, no, no. This Simon, this Simon is not working. We are going to call you Peter. Peter, yes. Everyone, his name is Peter now. And you can imagine his parents are like, what just happened? It's so dramatic. 
Of course, it's so much more than that. And with our Lord, time is defined more differently than we define it or understand it. Jesus' understanding of who Simon Peter is does not depend on this moment, on the name that his parents carefully chose, or on the work that he was actually doing. But he flashes far, far ahead to the future, past Simon cutting off the man's ear, past Peter rebuking Jesus for talking about his own suffering, past the three times that he denies our Lord. And he says that Peter will be a rock. He's the one who will preach to 3,000, or he will, he will preach and 3,000 will convert. He's the one who will heal this man at the gate called Beautiful. He's the one whose very shadow will actually heal people. He's the one who will raise Tabitha from the dead. He's the one who eventually becomes the pillar of the early church and eventually suffers martyrdom for the sake of this name. But at this very moment that they meet, none of that has happened. We know the rest of the story. At this moment, he is a fisherman who is stubborn, who is brought to Jesus by his big brother. It's really not a lot to go on. But Jesus does the same thing for us. He doesn't look at who you are right now. He doesn't look at how you are failing. He doesn't think, oh, what a loser. He's so weak, can't do anything. He'll never get it right. She'll never be who I want her to be. He looks at us and he sees the potential of what we can be when our lives are fully surrendered to him. And that's who he knew Simon Peter would become. When Jesus meets someone like you, he proclaims who you will be. But what about when someone like you meets Jesus? When someone like you meets Jesus, you follow him because of who he is. When John and Andrew were told by John the baptizer, behold the Lamb of God, they followed him. He is the Lamb of God. And this picture of a, of a sacrificial animal brings to mind the cost that was paid for your sins and for mine. Led to the slaughter, willingly laid down his life so that we could have freedom from sin, relationship with God, and be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> when someone like you meets Jesus, you follow him because of who he is, not because of who you are. And I just want to do a bit of a sideline here. Even if your parents follow Jesus and your grandparents follow Jesus and you all went to the same church, you're not following Jesus because of your historical relationship that your relatives or your parents or even yourself have had with him. You're following him because of who he is. When someone likes, like you meets Jesus, you spend as much time with him as possible. Now, look at, just consider the time that John and Andrew had spent a better part of an entire day with Jesus. And then, of course, the following three and a half years of his earthly ministry. Their entire lives were consumed with him. And then after his resurrection, they devoted themselves to the early church and its work. 
their lives were completely about kingdom matters. Now, we know Peter, Peter was married. He raised his mother-in-law from <laughs> the sick bed, which is, I don't think everyone would do that. <laughs> but he was about the kingdom. Our lives are not about ourselves, our own agendas, or our own goals, our own processes. We live for him, we live to him, we live through him, and we live in him. And the way we do this, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to spend time in a growth group. You have to get involved with ministries and organizations that are doing things that focus on the kingdom. So this week, I met Tia from Girls Shine Academy. Who knows Tia? Once you meet that lady, you're never the same. <laughs> and she came to Village of Hope, where I work, about another issue. And I was just blown away by this lady and her passion and the, the call that she has on her life to serve these girls. And if you're looking for somewhere to volunteer or to get involved with, that's an awesome place. Flood Church is involved in various ways of supporting that school, and it's incredible. But don't just sit around and wonder, how is my life going to get any better, or who am I going to be, or what am I supposed to do? you got to spend time with Jesus and with people that are doing the same thing. When someone like you meets Jesus, you need to spend as much time with him as possible. When someone like you meets Jesus, you need to tell others about who he is. After just spending one day with Jesus, Andrew rushed to tell his brother about him. In fact, uh, through the whole of the Gospels, Andrew is the first person to refer to Jesus as the Messiah. He couldn't keep it to himself. He couldn't keep it a secret. He wanted to share that immediately with someone, and it was someone very close to him. I know that evangelizing your family is really challenging. If you come from a family that's not Christians or there may be uh, nom uh, nominal Christians, it can really be hard. Uh, my parents don't serve Christ. My brother doesn't serve Christ. But on the day that I was saved, my brother and I walked down an aisle just like this together right to the altar and committed our lives to Jesus. And he's not walking with the Lord today. So it's a challenge sometimes to share with those people who are closest to you about, about what Christ is doing in your life that's real and happening right now. But I want you to do it because that is what happens when Jesus meets someone like you. He wants to use you for his purposes and his glory to bring other people to know him. When someone like you meets Jesus, you tell others about him. We, can't, we cannot keep it to ourselves. You, when someone like you meets Jesus, you find out who you will become. And this whole passage has so many themes of identity. Jesus is identified as the Lamb of God. He's identified as the Messiah. And Andrew and Peter, or Andrew and John are first identi identified as disciples, and then Peter becomes a disciple, and his name goes from Simon over to Cephas or Peter. When someone like you meets Jesus, you also will find out who you will become. Peter's identity was actually not tied up in his name or his profession, or his religion. He left all of that behind in the moment that he encounters Jesus. And the funny thing is, he doesn't even realize it. 
He's called in that moment to follow Christ, and he ends up becoming one of Christ's closest disciples. The questions that we ask of ourselves about who, I, who am I, where am I going, what am I doing, who will I become, they will be answered. Jesus, when you encounter him, he will give promises. He will speak words. He will release destiny. He does all of these things when we're totally surrendered to him. Uh, yeah, I was just telling you, I didn't, my, my parents don't serve Christ. Um, Canada is quite a secular culture. It's very uh, anti-Christian, anti-gospel, anti-Jesus. And I can remember thinking, how, who am I ever going to become with this kind of a, a heritage? Both of my parents struggle with addiction. Um, and I can remember being at a, a service as a, about 18, 19 year old, and a pastor said a word over me, and I just, I hadn't thought of it for years until just this morning. When you surrender everything to Jesus, he will bring promises to life. And things will happen for you that you will never expect, you will never imagine. Uh, one of the words that this pastor said is that you will preach to the nations. I was a 19-year-old kid. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to write a sermon or anything. And... But I knew enough to surrender because I had watched my parents and my other relatives and the life that they had lived without Christ. And I want to assure you today, give him, your, give him everything. Give him your life. He'll give you those promises, and he will bring those things to, to pass. He will. That's who he is. When someone like you meets Jesus, you find out who you will become. Now... There are some of you here this morning that are struggling with your identity. Is my identity my job? Is it my family? Who am I? Who will I become? What am I supposed to do? What's going to happen? What if I choose A when I should have chosen B? What if I marry this one instead of that one? These are the questions of being a young person looking for answers. <laughs> I can remember being in an utter panic over whether or not Jeff was the right person for me to marry. <laughs> that actually was a few years of panic. <laughs> it was agony to decide the right college to attend. As we look at this passage, these Three young men encounter Jesus, and two things are very clear. First, when Jesus meets someone like you, his full identity is confirmed. He is the Lamb of God who takes away your sins. He is the Messiah. He is the one who says, come and follow me. Just come and see. And second, when Jesus meets someone like you, your true identity is revealed. It's not your parents. It's not your church. It's not your degree. 
It's not your heritage or your culture. You are his child. He has found you. He wants to use you for his purpose. Let's pray. Lord God, you call us and you equip us when you meet us. And Lord, it's a step of obedience to just move in that direction when you say, come and see. Lord, we need answers. We need you to reveal to us the truth about these questions that we have, Lord. We are weak without you. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, all across this room, I pray for people who are asking these questions about who am I? What will I do? Who will I become? Lord, you're stretching out your hand and you're saying, come and see, follow me. Turn away from that thing that is dragging you down. Step back from that relationship that is ruining your life. Lord, you are gracious and you are faithful and you are compassionate and you are kind and you fulfill your promises. So Lord God, we ask that you would do that for the people asking these questions today. We have questions, Lord, and we know you alone have the words of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.